Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. On this episode of Newsflash, today we recap DMC Night 3 rhetoric versus reality, including four of the biggest speeches, including from Hillary Clinton, Gabby Giffords, Barack Obama, and Kamala Harris, the AOC endorsement paradox, Steve Bannon's charged, Biden moves in austerity, and something I'm very, very excited about, which is... The Matt Taibbi drinking game. We're going to be announcing the rules or going through some of the rules for this Matt Taibbi drinking game. See if it's worth playing for all of you drinkers out there tonight as Joe Biden, um, the speech he's going to make that he's been preparing for his entire life as he accepts the nomination tonight. Going to be very, very exciting. Uh, But yeah, we start off by talking about the third night of the Democratic National Convention. It was a marked improvement on his predecessors in one crucial sense, at least this time there was no Republicans present, the party had spent the first two evenings of its virtual gathering stuffing proceedings to the gills uh, with assorted GOP war criminals, enemies of women's and workers' rights, and predatory capitalists. On Wednesday, though, Democrats took a break from that, but don't worry, Michael Bloomberg will be back on tonight, so you can you can tick off the uh, enemies of women's rights, enemies of workers' rights, and predatory capitalists. But just no 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 war criminals tonight. We hope. I mean, I mean, you can you can make an argument for for that <laughs> Joe Biden is is complicit in some pretty bad things, but um, the evening was now also really one of the most well produced and policy heavy of the DNC thus far, and it was of course the one that I didn't watch because the the biggest complaints for the past minutes for me have been. Um, there's no policy, there's, like, it just, Trump is really mean, and Joe Biden's a really, really nice guy, like, a lot of different times, so, uh, that's been a pretty, pr- a pretty big part of it, um, that we saw. The essential playbook, though, remains the same, just around, you see what's going on here, guys? You see what's going on? Like, you see see how bad this is? And really, a lot of what the DNC is doing here, and really the Democratic Party more effectively, and just the Biden campaign as a whole, is taking the abject horror of this moment and the and the suffering that Americans are so clearly in and saying, you really want four more years of that? And I mean, it's, it's proving to be a very, very effective case. Um, there's been so much bone-deep injustice over the past four years that this is a perfectly sound electoral strategy. On Wednesday, we were reminded of the Parkland massacre and the monstrous crime of family separations, uh, of Trump's assault on, on the environment and his hatred of women. Above all, we were reminded of his essential inhumanity. Part of what makes Trump seem so malevolent is he's not even able to fake that straightforward human emotions. He's almost beyond mere amorality. There is something a frighteningly, 
there's really simply a frighteningly blank space where a person should be compared to that someone who knows uh, or really shows they're capable of feeling something as basic as just like normal decency and normal empathy can cause like really signify a real shift a real sea change for a lot of people because they're like oh oh my gosh that guy is he is he expressing normal human emotion like is that what he's doing oh my i've never seen anything like that before oh my god i gotta vote for him at least in the last four years um but yeah democrats know that biden's decency and empathy were stressed over and over again on Wednesday, as they would have been for the whole convention, but we kept being promised that he cares. Wouldn't it be nice to have someone back in charge that absolutely cares about you? I mean, of course, it would be nice, but here's this thing in the tail. Here's where this thing in the tail emerges. There's a nasty gap between rhetoric and the things that Democrats say they put forward. Uh, they're increasingly adept at echoing the talking points of activist movements and the reality of who Joe Biden is. They can say that he's going to care for you in all the most woke ways possible, but will it actually be true? Much of Wednesday night was dedicated to women, an appropriate theme for an evening in which Kamala was anointed as the vice presidential nominee and clear future leader of the party's establishment wing, but it's hard enough to think of Biden's treatment against Anita Hill or the fact that his signature Violence Against Women Act in, in and of itself an increasingly controversial piece of legislation was part of his notorious push for mass incarceration. So, like, whenever you see one side of the uh, the scale being addressed, he can't seem to do it without hurting another uh, group of marginalized people. Uh, there is a lengthy, gut-wrenching segment about Trump's immigration policy, something that I think would be a very, very, is a very, very effective move for Democratic voters. Uh, but Biden's role in his administration that presided over record numbers of deportation in his, and his spiteful defense of that policy went unmentioned. I think that's a very, very important way of looking at it because it's not a big thing that people talk about. You don't hear um, the realities of um, Joe Biden, Barack Obama's immigration regime addressed very often because they just it just never, you never see it. You never see it. And I really give a lot of credit to people who were kind of, on the Democratic left, not as, like they still had bridges intact with the Democratic Party coming out and saying things like, "Okay, we gotta realize, like, I like uh, people who uh, Latino activists, people who still again they had bridges with the Democratic Party. Like it was pr- probably pr- politically and professionally risky for them to go out and say things like this, but they they made it clear they were like, "Yes, I have been a target. I have been somebody who has been victimized." by the Obama policy. Like, I've been someone who's been um, hurt, like, significantly hurt by a lot of the stuff that Joe Biden has done and, and Barack Obama's done, and that's something that, or, or my family members have been hurt or whatever. Like, that is a key point that is oftentimes very, very, um, it's left unaddressed, and it's a big reason why people, like, Latinos are looking at Biden here and being like, wait a minute, we're like we we still remember what you did with uh with Barack Obama, and he still has not really come out and addressed it, I think, properly, and it's led to a big deficit. So yeah, I think that's it's been it's been a big part of it. the The dissonance is not just found in Biden; it's the dissonance of the Democrats as a whole. If they win in November, we'll see if this rhetoric is real or whether they mean it, or once again, will they just revert to type? All right, we do have some interesting speeches for you, uh, a lot of interesting speeches, uh, and we start off with uh, just some moments to recap, I guess you could say, from from Hillary Clinton. This is a uh, one-minute 
29-second clip you got to get ready for of Hillary. Um, yeah, so big, big moment for her, and I'm going to play her clip. This is going to be, again, the first time I'm hearing it because I fell asleep too early last night. I fell asleep at like 10.30, got up nice and early this morning, time for do a, a, mid, a mid-morning show. Um, and, yeah, so this is what she had to say about this election. Trump came in with so much set up for him, a strong economy, plans for managing crises, including a pandemic. Yes, we Democrats would have disagreed with him on many things. But if he had put his own interests and ego aside, seen the humanity in a child ripped from her parents at the border or a protester calling for justice or a family wiped out by natural disaster, that would have been a good thing for America and the world. For four years, people have told me, I didn't realize how dangerous he was. I wish I could do it all over. Or worse, I should have voted. Look, this can't be another woulda, coulda, shoulda election. If you vote by mail, request your ballot now and send it back right away. If you vote in person, do it early. Become a poll worker. Most of all, no matter what, vote. As Michelle Obama and Bernie Sanders warned us, if Trump is reelected, things will get even worse. Vote for honest elections so we, not a foreign adversary, choose our president. Vote for the diverse, hopeful America we saw in last night's roll call. And don't forget, Joe and Kamala can win by three million votes and still lose. Take it from me. <sighs> it's like again, like some of the stuff he, like she says there is obviously hey right. It's me, and Kamala. Um, we'll get to Kamala in a second. Um but I think like one of the biggest things that we saw here was like it's still, it, it, they can't be a woulda, coulda, shoulda election, right, Hillary? Maybe you woulda, coulda, shoulda have gone to Wisconsin. Like, we still see, at least from that speech, it was, it was very, very, like, traditional. And, you know, she's saying Bernie Sanders' name there through just gritted teeth because that antipathy, that bone-deep antipathy from that wing of the party towards Bernie Sanders still very much exists. We saw it when he dropped out. They organized, like, a, a Zoom cocktail hour uh, to, to celebrate. But, like, there still is, from, from that side of the party, I think, just not just with Hillary, but a broad, just general unacknowledgement of the the woulda could the the woulda coulda shoulda part of it also falls on the candidate as well. Like that is a big part of it. Like she's she says she, she talks about how she how she goes around talks to people. Oh, I should have voted. I should have voted. Like I made such a mistake not to vote. Well, maybe the mistake just a little bit could have possibly been. By the fact that the way that Hillary Clinton ran her campaign that was boring, was uninspiring, had no positive vision for America, and represented a lot of what we've seen in this convention, which was just no policy and a a basic appeal to, isn't Trump so bad, and aren't I a lot better? And it didn't work last time. I mean, there is a case to be made that four years of just abject horror uh, would work, but... It, it really was something. I mean, it was a workmanlike effort from the Democrats' 2016 nominee and one that evoked, well, 2016. She looted the sw- slings and arrows. Uh, she did a Bernie Sanders shout-out, and she referred to foreign adversaries, and she made sure to note that she won the popular vote. It's forever 2016 for many Democrats. It's the, it's the year that their brain broke, I think, in large part, and it 
really wasn't quite the uh, really wasn't quite the same after, uh, to be quite honest. Um, it is, and it also shows really the Democratic Party tr- at least trying to, and significant parts of the Democratic Party trying to move away from the Clintons and r- kind of reestablish their own brand. But really, the biggest thing that I took away from that speech is the continuous blaming of the voters, the the unex un- inability to understand like. Areas where the Democratic Party could have screwed up at one point or another, um, and just they refuse. It's like oh, it's always the you are two groups of people blame there the Russians and the voters. Like that is still who Hillary Clinton thinks um, lost to this election. It wasn't Hillary Clinton? It wasn't the voters weren't excited to vote for Hillary Clinton? It was because they didn't vote. Why is that? Well, I mean, not my problem. That's uh, that that is the Hillary Clinton mindset there, and it is a big big problem. All right, so here's a clip from Gabby Gifford's speech. Out of pain, we choose to find meaning. A glimmer of light that lands on a promise. Former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords shot in the head from less than three feet away. But she survived. When tragedy strikes, We seek comfort in knowing we aren't alone. Join us in this fight. We seek strength to keep fighting, to keep moving forward. We turn to leaders who share our pain. In the most difficult times, it's when we stand closest together. It's out of tragedy that we grow stronger. He was there for me. He'll be there for you, too. We are a nation ready to end gun violence. A safer America is possible. You can't hear from the audio over here, but it kind of shows her recovery and like the point where she had no hair and like was really seemed to be like weak. And then now she's like strong. She's even learning how to speak again. Like you can see her on the paper from the video and you can't hear this over the audio. So I'm just explaining it to you here. But like you can see like the paper will be like, this is how you're supposed to move your mouth. And you say, was, and then fight, which was like, and she's learning how to speak in typical Democrat language. But still, it's an incredibly inspiring story. And it's a great way to like kind of fit in the policy part of it here as Democrats try to push more on policy. The fact that there is a big, big part of the uh, traditional democratic policy platform that's kind of unaddressed for a long time now, which is gun violence. And it's a, it's a great thing for kind of corporate uh, Democrats to pursue and make, make a name out of you saw Beto O'Rourke trying doing that, trying to do that after the, uh, the El Paso uh, shooting when he was running for president, uh, which was, it's very, very impactful because it doesn't really like get in the way of any kind of, corporate lobby like healthcare would i mean aside from the gun lobby which they're perfectly okay to be demonized in, in most circles they're not a particularly powerful lobby when it, if you look at the healthcare lobby you compare them to healthcare lobby the the banking industry like all that stuff and it's also like it's a blatantly horrible issue like gun violence like who who wants gun violence nobody like it's a especially in the democratic side um and who wants who wants gun control? Like, it's a broadly popular issue, like, especially in the Democratic side and in, in America. It's common sense gun reform, like, enjoys wide popular support. And Gabby Giffords, with her story, and especially the fact that her <laughs> husband is running in a pretty tight Senate seat this year, um, like, she is really a great kind of vehicle almost to 
bring that policy into the national stage with her bravery and her incredible situation of all the horror that she had to go through here. But from this point forward, we must choose courage. I've known the darkest of days, days of pain and uncertain recovery. But confronted by despair, I've summoned hope. Confronted by paralysis and aphasia, I responded with grit and determination. I put one foot in front of the other. I found one word and then I found another. My recovery is a daily fight, but fighting makes me stronger. Words once came easily, today I struggle to speak. But I have not lost my voice. American needs all of us to speak out, even when you have to fight to find the words. We are at a crossroads. We can let the shooting continue, or we can act. We can protect our families, our future. We can vote. We can be on the right side of history. We must elect Joe Biden. He was there for me. He'll be there for you too. Join us in this fight. Vote, vote, vote. All right, so that is a clip there from Gabby Giffords, a very inspiring, uh, pretty cool speech. And she's clearly had like severe, she was shot at the head from less than three feet away, pretty much point blank range there. Absolutely insane stuff. I mean, wow. Uh, I was personally, I was what, eight or nine <laughs> when uh, Gabby Giffords was shot. Um, so I don't remember exactly where I, where I was, but this is a horrible, horrible uh, event. And it's amazing that she survived being shot at, at, at a point, point blank range. She came delivering a impactful speech about gun violence, um, playing the French horn. Really, really something. Um, yeah, she anchored the 9 p.m. hour and was really the first foray into policy that we've seen in this con- convention with stuff about guns, climate change, and immigration. So um, it was very much geared toward younger voters as, as well. Uh, Billie Eilish, I believe, performed last night. Uh, but I do wonder if um, how much of this will be reflected in Biden's 2021 uh, governing policies. Only something that we it, it kind of remains to be seen. Uh, Up next, Obama took the stage. Tonight, I want to talk as plainly as I can about the stakes in this election. Because what we do these next 76 days will echo through generations to come. I have sat in the Oval Office with both of the men who are running for president. I never expected that my successor would embrace my vision or continue my policies. I did hope, for the sake of our country, that Donald Trump might show some interest in taking the job seriously. That he might come to feel the weight of the office and discover some reverence for the democracy that had been placed in his care. But he never did. For close to four years now, he has shown no interest in putting in the work. No interest in finding common ground, 
no interest in using the awesome power of his office to help anyone but himself and his friends. No interest in treating the presidency as anything but one more reality show that he can use to get the attention he craves. Donald Trump hasn't grown into the job because he can't. And the consequences of that failure are severe. This administration has shown it will tear our democracy down if that's what it takes for them to win. So we have to get busy building it up by pouring all our efforts into these 76 days and by voting like never before for Joe and Kamala and candidates up and down the ticket so that we leave no doubt about what this country that we love stands for. Yeah, so there is Barack Obama. Um, and it, I think it's like, it's a very, very hey, clear... everybody, it's me, Kamala. All right, Kamala keeps wanting to talk. We'll get to Kamala in a moment. I promise she's coming up next. But <laughs> Kamala, yeah, she, I believe, spoke after, I think, Barack Obama's uh, speech. I don't know. You can tell I didn't watch the convention. But uh, just trying to give you the recap here. I was watching some clips of it this morning. And do want to give you the recap here about this guy. I mean, Barack Obama, he said, I think, really... A lot of stuff that that many people didn't know. Like I have to be quite honest. I kind of looking at the. I watched the full speech this morning, but that's just a little little clip of it. I think the full speech was about like uh, ten to fifteen minutes long. Um, but I think it really kind of shows you. Uh, I'm, I I watch it. I was kind of like meh. It shows you really how much can be accomplished by if you say what pretty much anyone paying attention to this situation, looking at it rationally, already knows, like, our democracy, our whatever, like, our system of government, our, our, our the stability of the American experiment is at a very, very fragile point, and we are, really need to have Donald Trump out, he only helps himself and his friends, like, duh, that's obvious, and I really don't feel like most Americans are going to be super excited by the fact that the former president said it. Like that's, it feels like something that only the media would be thinking that people are excited about. Because I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Democratic voters are very, very excited by something Barack Obama coming out and saying things that like they've already been believing and they've already believed and they've already kind of known for a long, long time. Like if he comes out and he says that, if um, Barack Obama does that, he makes an impassioned speech about the evils of Trump. Like, how many people is that really going to convince without any kind of, like, policy, massive policy changes? I don't know. I don't think it's going to be that many. But, um, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm out of touch with the convention. But he was definitely, it was a very, very clear, very, very strong message. But, I mean, not really too much different from much of the rhetoric that's been coming out on from from mainstream parts of the left wing of this country for quite a while and it's it's not exactly controversial thing to say like that Donald Trump is authoritarian threatening the stability of our government only cares about himself like that it's kind of duh it's kind of duh like obviously i mean i don't know but other than that it was very very strongly worded not often where you hear a president, a president comes out and say that, but, I mean, that just, to me, feels like something only the media would get excited about. But maybe it's just me. All right. Here is Kamala Harris accepting the vice presidential nomination. I accept your nomination for vice president of the United States of America. 
Joe and I believe that we can build that beloved community, one that is strong and decent, just and kind, one in which we can all see ourselves. That's the vision that our parents and grandparents fought for, the vision that made my own life possible, the vision that makes the American promise for all its complexities and imperfections a promise worth fighting for. So make no mistake, the road ahead is not easy. We may stumble. We may fall short. But I pledge to you that we will act boldly and deal with our challenges honestly. In this election, we have a chance to change the course of history. We're all in this fight. You, me, and Joe, together. What an awesome responsibility. What an awesome privilege. So let's fight with conviction. Let's fight with hope. Let's fight with confidence in ourselves and a commitment to each other, to the America we know is possible. Hmm. Yawn. Uh, yeah, this is like... Hey, everybody, many... it's me, Kamala. Tonight... All right, that's clearly on autoplay, but... Um, yeah, so that is a very, uh, like, typical, very platitude-filled, very boring speech. And, I mean, I, I didn't hear anything worth talking about in there, and you probably didn't either. Like, yeah, she, she accepted the speech, and she, she, she accepted the nomination with kind of a, a boring speech. She, she waved her f- fists and said, let's fight. Let's join the fight with courage and conviction and passion. Like, let's all join together to change the course of the country and improve and define our country's character. Like, I'm sorry, that is not interesting. Not interesting at all. Um, boring, yawn, who cares, whatever. Uh, I do, I'm, I'm not interested. All right. Next story now, we move on to move back, really, and talk about what happened back in night two with something I like to call the AOC endorsement paradox. This happened again in night two as AOC gave her 60-second speech for Bernie Sanders from YouTube. Uh, And if you want to hear our YouTube stories before they hit the our, our show... Well, all you got to do is subscribe to my YouTube channel and watch. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. First, Spencer Walsh. Night two of the DNC just finished up last night. And uh, I did not do a Twitch live stream for that one. I do apologize. I, I was too busy trying to set up this uh, this new microphone stand here that we have. But... 
I was watching um, at around 10 o'clock when the official delegate roll call to nominate Joe Biden began. Um, but first, of course, the thing was about this night that was so special was that AOC was supposed to have her night where she'd be speaking alongside Bill Clinton. And the purpose she would be speaking, and it was really clearly, I think, explained by the guy who was doing the introductions. He was like, now we begin the official roll call and nominating process. Here to nominate Bernie Sanders is this guy who is the former president of the UAW and AOC. So AOC was going to give her a seconding nominating speech for uh, Bernie Sanders because – I mean, obvious, anyone who's been following the news, which like most Democratic Party voters have been following the news, they know who won the Democratic nomination. And I mean, they I mean, you have to assume no one would think that it would change. Right. And no one would think that all of a sudden a sleight of the hand and Bernie Sanders is going to get the nomination. But uh, the purpose, the reason why AOC spoke was to nominate Bernie Sanders in a clearly ceremonial role. I, th I thought I was watching it. Like, I know what happened. I mean, I'm not an expert on the rules of the Democratic Convention, but it was, I think it was pretty clear that he was, that she was doing it for procedural purposes. But obviously it was not clear to some people as we will soon find out. So here it is. Um, here's a speech that got so many people uh, freaked out about it. This was 90 seconds, one minute, 37 seconds here. Or 97, I guess. So this is the uh, this is the moment. Good evening. Bienvenidos. And thank you to everyone here today endeavoring towards a better, more just future for our country and our world. In fidelity and gratitude to a mass people's movement working to establish 21st century social, economic and human rights, including guaranteed health care, higher education, living wages, and labor rights for all people in the United States. A movement striving to recognize and repair the wounds of racial injustice, colonization, misogyny, and homophobia, and to propose and build reimagined systems of immigration and foreign policy that turn away from the violence and xenophobia of our past. A movement that realizes the unsustainable brutality of an economy that rewards explosive inequalities of wealth for the few at the expense of long-term stability for the many, and who organized a historic grassroots campaign to reclaim our democracy. In a time when millions of people in the United States are looking for deep systemic solutions to our crises of mass evictions, unemployment, and lack of health care, in el espíritu del pueblo, and out of a love for all people, I hereby second the nomination of Senator Bernard Sanders of Vermont for President of the United States of America. I mean, yeah, again, it was a clearly symbolic gesture, right? Like, it's obvious, and it should have been obvious to everybody that— um, uh, Bernie Sanders was because it's a clearly ceremonial rule. Like the DNC rules state that anybody who crosses the 300 delegate threshold, which Sanders obviously easily crossed, um, would get the nomination. So, like <laughs> everybody knows, at least anyone who's been paying attention, which like mean these people are clearly are paying attention, they all know that Joe Biden won the nomination. But still, what do you get? Like really misleading, deceitful headlines. If you scroll down here, um, so there's some people. Um, clearing it out but 
Um, and she she cleared it out her as well. Uh, said this is a um, if you're confused by AOC's endorsement of Bernie Sanders, now you're not uh, just now you're not alone. Joe Biden is still getting the nomination. That was Serene Leaves, who is like someone who's like she's being clearly disingenuous. Like she's a journalist. Like, she knows how this stuff is supposed to work. Like I am a 17 year old kid, and I was easily able to figure out what was going on. I mean, I think I really get the sense people are just starting to be disingenuous here. But she, of course, uh, explains it, I think, in a very good, safe way, saying convention rules require roll call and nominations for every candidate that passes the delegate threshold of 300 delegates. I was asked to second the nomination for Senator Sanders for the roll call. I extend my deepest congratulations to Joe Biden. Let's go win this in November. So she's clearly saying in a good faith way. Uh, but still, you get a bunch of like ridiculous uh, freakouts about it. Uh, including by like the New York Post was like in one of the weirdest nights of the convention. Like they, they NBC News was also saying something like in one of the weirder moments of the convention, uh, AOC snubs Bernie San- uh, as Joe Biden to nominate Bernie San- Bernie Sanders instead, endorsing Bernie Sanders for president. Like no, that's what she was supposed to do. It is. It was just an absolutely disingenuous way of looking at it. I mean, the the MSNBC tweet was. Uh, really quite something. I'll pu- pull that up for you here in a second. Um, I think they deleted it. Yeah, it's gone. So, I mean, it, it sh- definitely should have been. But check this out here. I mean, we have uh, liberals are like this. So she, she explains a tweet here. And then look at this on the bottom. Uh, this is from some random guy. Like, this, this just shows you the inherent, like, st- instability of the brains of some of the people in the Democratic Party. It is insane uh, to my mind. Um, poorly handled. This plan should have been announced ahead of time for people to know it was coming in accordance with the rules. You also could have explained and said that in your that in your speech for clarity. Instead, it looks like division, which is not what we need. Fodder for the repubs. That part there got cut off in the video, um, which is like I mean, some people aren't babies and understand how politics works, and she shouldn't have to explain it for you. Like this is just some really ridiculous stuff. Like the time that, like the time that she, the like, she follows the rules. She does ex- like literally exactly what she's supposed to, and like that is, like, it's still not enough. It's just so. I mean, it just shows you like the 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 cultish obsession that some people have with the Democratic Party. Just anybody who could be breaking the rules, anybody who is stepping out of line with the like the direct orthodoxy of the way things work. No dissent inside the Democratic Party will be tolerated. It's it's almost like, it feels like sometimes, honestly, that we're living in some sort of like Stalinist authoritarian um, system where there's no dissent. There's no internal, criti- internal criticism allowed. Otherwise, you're a fascist who wants to help Trump win. You're a fascist apologist. You're a fascist bro who doesn't get what's going on here. Um, Here's another one. It says, regardless of convention rules, bad move, AOC. You showed extremely bad judgment um, by literally, again, following the convention rules. Like, (laughs) they admit it. They are being explained what is going on here, and they are admitting it. And literally, the guy before did the same thing. The guy before literally endorsed Bernie Sanders, the president of the UAW. He said he said the same thing, but of course, that standard only applies to AOC because she's a more visible woman in the party, uh, which is really quite something. So, yeah, I think you made. Here's another one. I think you made a big mistake. My feelings for you changed instantly. Like what? What babies these people are! It is insane. It is absolutely insane 
they like they're just purposely trying to I mean like they they're they have the process being explained to them right there in front of them like it's it's clear as day illustrated what is going on like there it's not it's not really up for it's right there it's being explained but still they make the the disingenuous interpretation of like AOC is daring to cause division within the party like no no like people who don't have severely damaged brains like you can understand what's going on. Like anybody who looks at the situation, like logically can see what's going on. Like, I mean, like my mom was like a little confused last night when she was watching it. She was like, wait, why, why is he exp- explaining that? And I was just like, Oh, it, it's just a procedural thing. Like it's, it's not like she's, he's just nominating Bernie Sanders because he got the most delegates or the second most delegates. That's what AOC is doing. It's like, it's a purely procedural move. And she was like, Oh, okay. Like, you don't need to be like, oh, no, AOC, she's going to cause Trump to lose. Ah! Like, like that is just, like, absolutely demented behavior. And it really just shows you how how much in deep disrepair some of the Democratic Party uh, voter base has been and how much their brains have been broken by the last four years. So, yeah, let, let's take a look at what we have to look forward to tonight from the DNC. Um, Senator Kamala Harris is scheduled to accept her nomination as former Vice President Joe Biden's running mate uh, Wednesday the DNC and former President Barack Obama will deliver the keynote address. Barack Obama has rec- uh, earlier recorded a video with Biden discussing racial justice, the economy, and health care. He will appear two nights after the former First Lady Michelle Obama delivered a forceful speech Monday against the president. Biden chose Harris uh, recently enough that Michelle Obama didn't mention her in her recorded speech, but Harris is a former prosecutor and state attorney general delivered a fiery speech August 12th during her first appearance with Biden. Her selection was uh, widely praised among members of the Democratic Party there. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much what's going on. Uh, within the theme of a more perfect union, the lineup includes Washington officials have, who have drawn pro- prolonged criticism from Republicans. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, uh, Hillary Clinton, and Elizabeth Warren are among some of the speakers. Uh, Gabby Giffords uh, is going to be speaking as well, including Tony Ever- and Tony Evers and Michelle Lujan Grisham, who is a potential vice presidential candidate and possible cabinet official. So, that is what you have to look forward to tonight in the Democratic uh, Convention. I mean, so far, got to say, pretty underwhelming stuff. Mostly a lot of just, isn't Trump so mean and he's such a mean, bad, loud guy? And then, isn't Joe Biden such a nice sweetie pie? Like, don't you want to go vote for him? We're not going to tell you what you're going to get when he gets in office, but don't you want to go vote for him? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Like, it's almost like coaxing uh, the Democratic Party into just voting for their guy here. So pretty underwhelming stuff so far. Be interesting to see if anything that happens tonight will be different. Doubt it. Uh, but if something does happen, we will be covering it for you here. If you like this video, please be sure to subscribe. Thank you very much. Yeah, do subscribe to over to that YouTube over there, Spencer Walsh, S-P-E-N-S-E-R there. Don't, don't put that C in there. Uh, anyway, but... We do need to get to some news that just came out uh, about an hour ago. Steve Bannon, President Trump's former top advisor, was charged on Thursday in New York with a fraud for his role in a scheme related to, quote, we build the wall. And I do remember this when it came out. Uh, It was an online fundraising effort that collected more than $25 million for the president's much-touted plan to erect a barrier on the Mexican border. I do believe this was like 
when the government shutdown was going on and the whole debate was uh, Trump won in front of the wall and Democrats were like, no way in hell. Uh, Bannon and three other defendants defrauded hundreds of thousands of donors, capitalizing on their interest in funding a border wall to raise millions of dollars. And the false pretense, um, all that money would be spent on construction. Uh, Audrey Strauss, the acting U.S. attorney in Manhattan, said in a statement on Thursday, Bannon was arrested early Thursday in Connecticut by U.S. postal inspectors and brought to Manhattan, where he faces charges in a two-count indictment unsealed in a federal district court. He was expected to appear before a U.S. magistrate judge in New York later in the day. According to federal authorities, Bannon, widely considered the architect of Trump's 2016 presidential campaign, uh, hatched the plot to defraud donors to the Build the Wall campaign with three other men, Brian Colflage, uh, uh, Air Force veteran from Miramar Beach, Florida, Andrew Badalato, a 56-year-old financier. Never, ever trust someone who says their job is financier uh, from Sarasota. And Timothy Shea of Castle Rock, Colorado, who's a 49-year-old. So, as a founder uh, of We Build the Wall, Brian Colfage, uh, whatever you say his name, Colfage, promised his donor said he would not take a penny in salary or compensation and that all the money he said he would be raised in the execution of our mission and purpose but those promises were false he prosecutor said instead Cole Fledge secretly took and again I this was pretty obvious what they were doing at the time like you, you, you I remember doing stories on this and looking at this I don't precisely remember what happened because every, like everything in the last four years was just a a blur to me um but like, it, it, I think it's really, really clear um, that that even when it was happening, that nothing good was going to come of it. It was a very, very sketchy uh, th- thing, and it's like the the wall will not be go funded, uh, will, will not be go fund me. Uh, like a federal government construction project will will not be successfully go fund. It's just not going to happen. It's stupid. It was pretty stupid on its face, and if you donated to it. I mean, I'd say you're even more stupid, but, um, yeah, so secretly, uh, yeah, he took, he took, uh, 350,000 donations for his own personal use out of the 25 million. Bannon, through an unnamed nonprofit organization, received more than $1 million from the We Build the Wall effort, prosecutors said, uh, some of which to use to pay off hundreds of thousand dollars in personal expenses. To conceal the illicit, throw, illicit thro- flow of money, prosecutors said the four men routed payments from We Build the Wall not only through Shannon, uh, sorry, Bannon's nonprofit group, but through a shell company that Shea controlled. Prosecutors suggested that they were in possession of a text message in which Goldfage tells Badalato that the payment scheme was confidential and should be kept on a need-to-know basis. And a White House spokesperson has declined to comment on the charges. So, yeah, that is uh, a lot of what we um, hear about. Uh, there's this big part of C. Bannon. C. Bannon, actually, he really was a big part of the Trump campaign uh, in building up into the force that it was. He hit a lot of the stuff like the populist messaging about around trade and jobs and, and China and stuff like that. That was a, that was a lot of him. And I think he can, he can credit a lot of his, his success. Trump can to, to Steve Bannon. So it's interesting to see that he has done this. It's really just a sign of a desperate man. I think someone who is, is deeply out of pocket in terms of, he, he, he is, his, his, his money is thinning out or was thinning out after he got kicked out of Breitbart in the white house and this has been 
a uh, probably something that was almost bound to happen. We have more news flash coming right up, so don't move. Still to come today, David Sirota on Biden's austerity plans and the official drinking game for Night for the DNC by Matt Taibbi. All right, so let's get right into it. This piece here by David Sorota, very, very interesting stuff here. Um, As he writes, quote, the Democratic Convention has sucked up most of the political oxygen in America, so much so that most people missed Team Biden signaling that it may back off the entire agenda it's campaigning on. This monumental decision uh, went really almost completely unnoticed for an entire day, which is generally disturbing commentary on how much of the most effective, I think, biggest political news gets ignored. And, like, the stuff that actually... I mean, really, the stuff that... the All the BS stuff that won't matter, but it's just pageantry, like, you can count on the news to cover that in detail. But when when it actually comes to something that's going to affect someone's life, like, like this stuff, and, like, the plans to cut austerity in the middle of the pandemic, you can count on the news media to almost completely ignore that. So there you go. Uh, to review the situation, earlier this month, Bloomberg News reported that Biden's campaign rolled out a $3.5 trillion economic program over the past month, uh, one that promises to, quote, invest in clean energy and caregiving, buy more made-in-America goods, and start narrowing the country's racial wealth gaps. I think it's a big, I mean, not not entirely where we want to go. There's some key, more specific policies that I would like to see, but still, it is, it, it's definitely something that's probably more progressive than like maybe say Obama would have done, but it's, it's a big deal. Um, this said the news service was proof that Biden was no longer adhered to an ideology of austerity and deficit hawkery, which would be good news for the American people. But then on the eve of Biden's convention speech, the democratic nominees top aide suggested in Washington reporters that it is not true. Former Delaware Senator Ted Kaufman, a Biden confidant who succeeded him in the Senate predicted it, a, in a Wall Street Journal Newsmakers Live interview Tuesday that due to a large increase in federal spending, it would be difficult to achieve anything in 2020 uh, or 2021 when Biden gets in there. Uh, when we get in, the pantry is going to be bare, Kaufman, who is leading Biden's transition team, said. Uh, when you see Trump's, what Trump's done to the deficit, forget about COVID-19, all the deficits he built up with his incredible tax cuts, so we're going to be limited. Economist Dean Baker goes over exactly how destructive and insane this ideology is. As he says, the idea that we've been not addressing pressing needs like climate change, child care, and health care uh, because we're concerned about the debt burden is close to crazy. As long as the economy is not near its capacity, there is zero reason not to spend to address these priorities. And you can read his piece further explaining that uh, at the Center for Economic and Policy Research, a really great left-wing think tank, um, the burden of debt, which is, again... Uh, 
and this is someone who he's, he's friends with, so he's kind of calling him out there, but uh, it's at the Center for Economic and Policy Research, CEPR.net. So uh, what I find particularly troubling, Sorota writes here, is, is that Kaufman's quote made it into the Wall Street Journal yesterday. Newspaper tweeted out earlier in the morning, and it sat around for 24 hours in an eternity, really, in the current news ecosystem. And as far as I can tell, nobody has noticed. Hell, the journal's tweet had all of one retweets on it as of this morning. I snipped Kaufman's quote and tweeted it at 1 a.m. last night when I first saw it. And thankfully, my tweet pushing it out there has now belatedly moved it around in the political bloodstream. Lots of people are tweeting it about it and commenting on it all this morning. Of course, here I am on, on Newsflash amplifying it. That's good. I'm glad, I'm, guess I'm glad my Twitter feed has at least some value. However, the fact that it wasn't huge news the moment it came out is troubling. The Monumental Declaration was in a major newspaper. It should have set off alarm bells from think tanks, unions, and advocacy groups in Washington whose job is to make sure this destructive austerity ideology does not once again take hold in the Democratic Party. And you could really argue it's been around for a long time. Like, look at who's speaking in the DNC. We see, like, people from the Bush administration, like Republicans, Bill Clinton, who single-handedly um, probably, I mean, wiped out much of the American middle class with NAFTA and TPP and and uh, deregulation of Wall Street and a bunch of other things. Um, what all of this says to me is that party officials have either successfully distracted everyone or the left coalition in Washington uh, from really um, uh, keeping just from stopping everyone from noticing really what they're trying to do, which is reestablish this neoliberalism, this dark, dark turn of austerity ideology that we saw under Blair, so under Obama, especially under Clinton as well. And this just leads to no good. Uh, So keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on austerity and what Biden plans to spend. So, I mean, you really have to imagine that something more like what uh, what Kaufman said here is going to be closer to the truth with all this pressure on him, not to like really spend too big. It's going to be a big, big start. And you know, Republicans are really going to start caring about the deficit the moment that um, Obama comes in there. Oh, sorry, Biden comes in there. Like, it will be a huge concern again, just like that. Like, we've seen them do it already. And you know it's going to get bad uh, when Biden gets in there. Is they're going to pay, paint him as like the tax and spend liberal that everybody knows, even when we still have a massive crisis on their hands that they have created. And Biden will be like, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. We won't spend any money. Like it, it is insane, insane, insane stuff. Coming up next, though, we get you ready for night for the DNC. Uh, with a special drinking game from one of my favorites to read here on the show, Matt Saibi. Ladies and gentlemen, I cannot thank you enough for listening to programming from the Spencer Walsh Radio Network. It really means a lot. So if you like what you're hearing, please consider supporting us by checking out our merch store available on speaker.com slash TSWS. The link for it is there. Also, if you like what you're hearing, feel free to leave us a review on wherever or however you listen. You can do it on Spreaker by leaving a positive comment, and of course on iTunes by rating and reviewing us five stars, and on whatever possible program or site that you listen to SWRN on, leave a nice review, leave a good comment, let us know your feedback, and also if it's negative too, I always welcome constructive feedback. Thank you so much for listening. And now let's get back to your show.
Podcast. Night four of the DNC tonight, baby. Let's go. Woo-hoo. We're going to be talking about what to expect, including a uh, DNC drinking game. Uh, Matt Tybee did it. We did it on the stream, but there's a lot of fun stuff to uh, to take a look at. Um, Joe Biden is going to be speaking tonight as well, so uh, that's going to be a big one. Um, yeah. <laughs> Is it we get, and of course, Matt Tybee has come up with a drinking game for all of us. We're going to go through it right now and kind of laugh at it. And also, I mean, if you're if you're serious about it, if you want to have a, want a good time watching politics, uh, or maybe not so good of a time, uh, <laughs> I mean, now this game, Tybee's kind of shortened it to Biden's acceptance speech only. So he writes here, I've watched Biden speak probably a half dozen times during the primary campaign and perhaps half dozen times before he has definitive tendencies and his stump speech hits the six six or seven notes every time but the convention dresses are different every line every word will be scripted there shouldn't be ad libs freak outs at hecklers etc like everything should be really on the nose normal in a very controlled environment guessing when an unscripted joe biden will do it every uh at any different moment uh is pretty interesting and very very much a scary thing um here we'll, here we're basically trying to guess what Biden and his handlers have decided to put on a teleprompter, pretty much. Uh, Biden will be speaking sometime after 9 p.m., and uh, Tabby is going to be doing a live stream with his uh, co-host of the US, Useful Idiots podcast, Katie Halper. So uh, this is the rules. A drink every time Biden says, folks, uh, or the United States of America. So you can do double shots there for any multiple America construction. For example, the best America is an America where Americans believe in the American dream. <laughs> so this is why this is why I love it. Like Matt Saby because he does he does these kind of brand of political analysis. It's like I've been in the business like so long, and I've been following like really what everyone's do, been doing, and so I'm just gonna like really psychoanalyze and almost kind of mock in a way. It's almost political satire of the just bland language that politicians use that's purposely designed to uh, make you make, hold them down to like exactly zero po- political commitments and say the bland way possible. It's a really great way of kind of like pointing out the dumb, useless stuff that politicians say. Taking another shot for every time it says middle class. Um, drink every time it says get up as in Folks, you got to get up. This is the United States of America. You guys, any references to Barack Obama, quote, the soul of America. Biden points out a surprising percentage of something like, folks, 70, 74% of uh, venture capital goes to four cities. Uh, Biden says, my mom used to say, or folks, look, uh, or one of his father's relatable jobs that he has mentioned on that, like he sold a lot of cars. Uh, he makes a self-deprecating joke about his age or his tendency to say puzzling things. He finishes a section of a speech with a rhetorical flourish and he sounds angry, but you can't tell why because he's talking about something non-angry, but he sounds like a, a shouting guy. Um, he references a job you've never heard of as in, why is a sandwich maker being forced to sign a non-compete clause or something like that? Um, Biden says systemic and Biden does, and this is something he's almost certainly going to say, uh, he'll he'll say there's nothing we can't accomplish, I and mean, of course we're unable to accomplish something like Medicare for all or college for all. Like that, that's too pie in the sky. But we're the United States of America, Jack. There's nothing we can't accomplish. Like that's the one of the main contradictions. 
through most of Biden's 2020 speeches that I've seen pointed out on Twitter and stuff like that many, many times. Um, Biden begins a sentence with look, drink the first time only for that. Uh, drink the first time Biden mentioned Scranton and drink the first time he says something that kind of sounds sort of inappropriate. You may finish the bottle or quit if Biden combines any of the four above in one sentence. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, look, folks, we've got to get up if we're going to be the kind of America we know American can be. There you have to finish the bottle or quit if he combines four of the above in any kind of sentence. So you got... That is the, uh, look, folks, we got to get up if we're going to be the kind of America we know America can be. That is the quintessential Biden um, sentence that we know uh, we will see from him. So, uh, yeah, really great stuff there. Uh, definitely going to be, of course, if you're of age. So, I mean, can't really participate in this game. Uh, but if you're above age, that is a great way to... Uh, Make the DNC go by a little bit slower. And, of course, he did drinking games for... for the, he always does them for the debates. He does them for... Um, he did them for the first United Convention, but now he's had to shorten it. Anyway, it's just a really fun, fun time. All right, so that is all we have for you today. We have Uncultured on Friday. And you know what? Maybe we maybe we'll do a little bit of a stream tonight. Who knows? Uh, stay tuned to my Twitter, at SBW272 for that. Thank you so much for listening. It's been Newsflash. Have a great rest of your day.